0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au We are starting a new sermon series. Uh, We did through January the Book of Jonah. Uh, If you've missed any of those, you can go back to the website and catch up. But uh, we're going to work through the book of Galatians over the next few months, a really important book, uh, the first letter that Paul wrote, we believe, or close to the first letter that he wrote. And uh, we're going to find our way through that, Saved and Fruitful. Saved and Fruitful. We're going to be tracking with that as we go through uh, there. Okay, as we uh, set the scene for today and uh, begin this, sort of this introduction to sort of lay the foundations um, of uh, the book of Galatians, uh, think about this for a moment. A couple of generations ago, churches were seen as the foundations of communities. If you travelled around country Victoria, it wouldn't be a strange thing to find this church sort of just plonked out in the middle of nowhere, thinking, why is this church sort of out here amongst farmland? Well, churches were, or groups of people, uh, which is the church, were seen as very important for building strong, healthy, flourishing communities. So that's why they had They had a church out here amongst this farmland, and the farmers would all congregate there and uh, have a church community. Sadly, though, now, if you go past many of those churches that are out there, they're either turned into homes or art galleries, or just some of them are simply abandoned. How do you see the church today? What's the church here for? Why have you come to this gathering of people today, as we think about church? Well, we're going to see Paul here, in Galatians, write a letter to a church. Churches that are actually the most important organisation in the world. We're going to explore that as we go through Galatians over these next few weeks. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 1. You thought I was going to start there, didn't you? You wouldn't start at chapter 6, would you, if you're going to go through Galatians? Chapter 1, I'm going to just read the first five verses today, and we're just going to kick off there. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, thank you. Thank you for this tremendous gift of grace that you have given to us today. That we can open this living and breathing word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've inspired this word. You've moved upon people like Paul and many others to write down their thoughts which were inspired by you. So I pray today as we come and open up this letter, you would do a marvellous thing in our heart and in our life. You would reveal the gospel afresh, that old, old gospel that never ages, that is the foundation of our lives. That Lord, we would see salvation and fruitfulness from that salvation. Uh, Lord, we ask for that help today and we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, So the book of Galatians is a powerful and extremely helpful letter written for us today. Not only the Galatians back then, but for us today as well. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, the New Testament is made up of what we call four gospel accounts, or like four biographies of the life of who Jesus is. Uh, It is followed then by the book of Acts, which is an account of the early life of the apostles and the growth of the church. And then beyond the book of Acts, then we have a series of letters or epistles that are written by the apostles, Peter, James, John, Jude and Paul, that are written to various churches that are planted across the Roman world of that time. Galatians is a letter written by Paul to the churches of Galatia. So today what we're going to do is just really lay some really strong and solid foundations for understanding this letter and probably why any letters are written in the Bible as letters to the churches. And we're going to do this by asking questions. And with those answers, hopefully we'll have a deeper understanding of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today through this opening introduction here to the book of Galatians. Here's where we're going to head as we think about that. The church... Is God's gift of grace to grow us and to care for us in the gospel? The church is God's gift of grace to grow us and to care for us in the gospel. Okay, let's start off here. Like any letter, there is an introduction. That's what those first five verses are. Paul's writing an introduction there. And introductions are important as we actually see in that. Well, who's writing this letter? And who and what authority does this person do have to write this letter to us that we should listen to it? Well, we see there in verse 1 uh, that it's Paul. Paul there is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul has written this letter along with the brothers who were with him at this time. And he's composed this letter to, to the Galatians. And he says there also he's an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You may be asking the question, what's an apostle? Why has Paul termed himself or called himself that? Well, apostle in the Bible here means that someone has been invested with authority from Jesus Christ. He has an authority from Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. Now, being an apostle hasn't come about by anything human, by his own achievements or by his own giftedness or by his own skill set. This is actually something conferred upon by Jesus himself. Jesus chose men, certain men, to become his apostles, his representatives, to care for and to nurture the church and to see disciples grow strong in Christ. These men were charged, as it were, with establishing believers, so preaching the gospel and seeing believers become born again, planting churches and then teaching and growing these disciples Uh, in the truth of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes here this letter to the Galatians with what we say apostolic authority from Jesus to the churches. Now we're going to look at more of this as we go because Paul spends quite a bit of time here sort of establishing his credentials as it might were as an apostle and we'll understand why did he do that uh, as we go through perhaps over the next couple of weeks. So Paul here writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit under the inspiration of God, the very words that the Spirit wants to say to these churches. And at the same time, it's the same words that the Spirit wants us to hear today, even 2,000 years later. What is the Bible? The Bible is a timeless book. It doesn't age. It's always alive and it speaks into every culture and into every heart if we're prepared to listen to it. Who's Paul writing to? Well, you think, gee, Todd, you're going back to basics, but it's really good to nail these things down and understand where that's coming. That actually helps us to see what's going on. In verse 2, it tells us there, to the churches of Galatia. So here's where I want to spend a little bit of time this morning just thinking about that phrase there and this particular picture, the churches of Galatia. What did Paul do? Paul, when he was uh, saved, born again, uh, filled with gospel conviction... Obedient to the Lord's command to go and make disciples, Paul goes on a first missionary journey in the Rome, to the Roman province of Galatia. Now, I'm going to throw a map up here. You probably need binoculars from the back there to read that, don't you? Well, just in the middle there, you can see that word Galatia. I hope you can. There's oh, my pointer. There's <laughs> my pointer. Galatia. Can anybody recognise what that is today? Modern day Turkey, right. So the Bible's a real book, okay? It's talking about real lands. So Galatia is there, is what we know as modern day Turkey. Uh, Paul goes there as Gerhard um, Gedd. Is that right, Gedd? Did I say that right? Where is he? Oh, he's hiding behind Bridget, though, I couldn't see him. He He read there before, and that was actually the start of Paul's journey through Galatia. And going to those various towns, if you go back to Acts 13 14, you'll see that the Paul went to towns of Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra and Derb. That was the missionary journey that Paul went through in those towns, preaching the gospel in that Roman province of Galatia. Paul's strategy of doing this, or, or what he did, was to focus on major population bases to take the gospel there first. So he would go to these major towns. These major population-based where lots of people, he wouldn't go to an outlying village. He would actually go to a significant town, and his whole idea there was he could get gospel influence in those towns, it would then filter out into the smaller villages in the outlying areas. Paul would usually go to a synagogue first, the Jewish synagogue first, and speak about Jesus as the Messiah there, God's promised one. Now, why would Paul go to the synagogues first? Well, he was a Jew, but also the Jews would be very familiar with the Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament. So he had an audience somewhat already somewhat in the zone there of understanding what he was talking about. Paul would actually preach the gospel from the Old Testament. Now, we love to go to Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke and John and some other books, but Paul actually did it all from the Old Testament. Probably did quite a bit from Isaiah and the Psalms, actually declaring the gospel, the good news about Jesus from there. Uh, The Holy Spirit would move upon these people as Paul preached, as he proclaimed, as he discussed, as he had all manner of conversations. The Holy Spirit would move upon these people to open their eyes to the gospel and they'd be born again and be, they become disciples of Christ. Paul would then work to establish these new believers and to into communities or churches through these major towns that we just spoke about there, not only through Galatia, but through other provinces as well as he went through and on his missionary journeys. Now, this is really important for this purpose of actually establishing these communities. It's really important to see that, that these communities were God's idea Where these new believers could be loved and cared for and they could be grown in maturity through the gospel in community. What is the church? The church is God's vehicle of grace to strengthen people, to gather them together and to become strong. And here's where it serves a really fantastic purpose as we think about these churches that Paul planted. Christianity back then, two thousand years ago, as paul 's traveling through Galatia for the first time it 's like a new found religion it 's like something brand new, something that's just started to others outside of Christianity it appeared like some sort of offshoot of Judaism that these these Jewish people were gathering together and talking about Jesus now initially by all non jews it was seen by some sort of very, uh, something new and a very small sect of Jews who were going down this pathway, uh, talking about this man who had risen from the dead. Also for non-Jews, uh, this was seen as a really different thing to their culture because they're not following the social construct of actually be- uh, emperor worship and following Caesar. So there's a few little... It just seems like small and insignificant here what these, this Christian sect was doing. For those who were Jewish and didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah and stayed fixed to the law of Moses in the Jewish religion, they saw these Christians as a corruption of what God had given to them through the law of Moses. They actually saw them as corrupting who God was. So from the non-Jews, it was just something small and insignificant. But for the Jews who weren't seeing Jesus as the Messiah, they said this is an absolute corruption of who God is, the way they're talking about this Messiah coming through. Amongst all of that, God miraculously saves a whole wide range of people who believe in Jesus Christ. Amazingly, God just works in there in his own way to call people to himself. Here's what the early church was made up of in the early days. Many people were women in the the early church. Many were slaves. Many were soldiers. Many were prostitutes. Many were just labourers, brickies, sparkies, plumbers, probably not too many sparkies back then, labourers, the social outcast, not the labourers of the social outcast, but a lot of social outcasts made up the church of that time. They become followers of Jesus and were in the church. Not only that, there were some people of high-ranking positions of authority too in the church. Uh, business owners, a few of them, a number of priests also were converted and become followers of Jesus. And also a small number of wealthy people as well believed in Jesus and were in the church Two, what is the church? Well, the church is a bit of a smorgasbord. It's a bit of a licorice all There's a bit of everything in there, but it was really quite confounding to the communities around about them to see what it was doing. Not only in the church, uh, sorry, it would be confounding in this sense because not all those people would normally associate with each other. You wouldn't have prostitutes and slaves mixing with some wealthy people or business owners. That just didn't happen. You kept separate and all those things. But this was happening inside these churches. Not only that, there were Jews and non-Jews who were called Gentiles there together in the church as well. Now, according to Jewish thought, you just don't do that. You just don't mix with anybody who's a non-Jew. That was also unheard of. So you can see, there's a whole lot of strange things happening here in this group, this, uh, these, this sect, or these churches that were being planted. Now, Christians. Now, for Jews who became Christians, it did not go well for them. It did not go well for them. You were becoming a traitor. You were turning your back on the Jewish community if you actually decided to call this Jesus Christ the Messiah. How could you turn away? How could you turn away from the community and leave the synagogue? That's what they'd be sort of telling these people who call Jesus their Lord. And when this happened, the ones who become followers of Jesus, written off, isolated away from the rest of their families, sort of you know, excommunicated out of the community. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, shunned because they simply followed Jesus. Kicked out of the synagogue, which is real, the hub of life still happens today in some cases, even in Australia. If someone becomes a Christian in a family, in some cases that person will be just like cast off from the family. still happens today. For the Jews, the, the community gathered around the law of Moses and gathered around synagogue life. That was where community was. That was where they lived in their lives. And if you were outside of that, you really were on your own. Not a good place to be, but that's how it was. So the church, the church, the community of believers became a place of safety. It became a place where it was like a family for these who were outcasts, for these who were isolated and shunned by their families. The church become this, uh, the church become this family for them. And that's precisely what the church should be. It's meant to be that. It's meant to look like a family. It's meant to be like a family. It's meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ that God has ordained this church to be a place of love and support and encouragement of his grace to build people up. Think about it. People who are now discarded by their families are now loved by and cared for by a new family, the church. And for some people, the church was the only family they truly knew. Very powerful role the church plays in the hearts and lives of people. It's become family and it should be this place of love and encouragement and mutual support of each other now the early churches for the first 100 years or so were just small fledgling communities of people maybe the first couple of 100 years often they met in homes as house churches they couldn't actually meet in larger groups they just met maybe in 15 or 20 three or four families maybe all together In the one house. But not only did they meet in houses, they also met in halls as well. Similar to what we're doing today. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll see there that in Ephesus, Paul met in the hall of Tyrannus. They actually met together in a public building as well. What's Paul doing? Paul's writing to these churches that he planted in Galatia. These small, struggling communities of believers being cut off from the larger community around them, and he's writing to them. Now, These churches are struggling on a number of fronts, not just one or two fronts, a number of fronts. Not only the immediate community isolation for identifying with Christ and now being cut off by the family and perhaps rejected by their family, there's other um, stuff happening as well. If you read through Acts 13 14, you'll witness there the violence done to Paul as he preached Jesus among them. It didn't go too well for him in Lystra. They stoned him, they thought he was dead. That's legitimate. But he wasn't, and amazingly ridiculous, Paul gets up and he goes back into the same city where they just stoned him like the day before. It's a lot of courage to do that. So it didn't always go well for them. These communities also struggle with their newfound faith in Jesus as well. If you think about where they've come from, their whole context and culture would have been saturated in synagogue life, saturated in the law of Moses and male circumcision and temple sacrifices of making yourself right with God. That was what the whole uh, law of Moses was about. You do this to make yourself right with God. So they've actually they've been taught that all their lives and they're steeped in that. And now they discover, no, Jesus has fulfilled all of that for us. He is God's Messiah. Now, you discover that, but you've still got all this background lingering in your mind from all those years of training and teaching. So in this early stage of the church... There were many Jewish converts who still held strongly to this, um, pra- the old practices like circumcision and obeying the law of Moses and to make, them, to make themselves right and acceptable to God. They, they just sort of brought all that with them and it was a slow process of actually relearning and understanding who Jesus is and what he's done to fulfil all that. And as we're going to see over the coming weeks here, uh, these Jewish converts were bringing this false teaching with them into these house churches, into these groups, into these communities now that were forming around Jesus. And they were teaching here this false teaching that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, you need to trust in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and you also need to follow the law. And just plus, 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 plus. That's what they were saying. You need both of these things, like faith in Jesus, plus works, that makes you right before God. And we'll see with Paul, faith plus works is a false gospel. He gets very strong about that in the next passage of scripture here. It's no gospel at all, faith plus works. But these were very zealous Jews who were converted still living with all this in the background of their mind. And they're bringing this into the churches here in Galatia. They were convinced of this false gospel, these zealous Jews. Believers in Jesus, but just trying to add to that, spreading it amongst all the churches in Galatia. And the result was, as they spread this, as they have their conversations and they talk about, no, it's it's trusting Jesus, plus you must do these other things. Some are actually, maybe you're right. I think I better do that. I think I'll, I will trust Jesus and I'll do these other things and then I'll make sure that I'm right before God. Some have just went down that pathway. Others are thinking, I thought Paul told us a few months ago that Jesus fulfilled all this. I'm a bit confused now. So some actually got drawn down the pathway and some are confused. They're thinking, I'm not sure what the truth is. Which, what do I do? What do I believe? Which way do I go? So these Christians in these early days were seen as, as it were, easy prey for false teachers to influence and gain a following for their man-made ideas. They were vulnerable, particularly to con men who were really smooth talkers. They thought, that sounds so convincing. I'm not sure, but you sound right. This then becomes the primary reason for Paul to write this letter to the Galatians. They've got this confusion here. They've got this falseness trying to creep into this body of believers. Paul's heard about this false gospel. He's heard about this false teaching that's come into the church and it's now moving through the church. And he said, no, that's not right. But unfortunately, he's about a thousand miles away. So he's got to do something to try and communicate that I need to fix this up. So Paul writes a letter, inspired by the Spirit, with the truth, expose the false. Now just imagine how this looks. We're talking like church life, very much mirrored synagogue life in those early days because they were used to doing what they did in synagogue and what they would do in synagogue is this. Well, sorry, we'll mirror it into church. The people would gather in community. Just like we're doing today. Gather together. Elders appointed by Paul, we read that there in Acts chapter 14, in the church would read out some scripture. They would explain it What does this mean? And they begin to apply it to our everyday life, to everyday thinking, our everyday living. There'd be time of prayer, and they would also celebrate the Lord's table together as a gathered community of believers. And they would have done the very same thing here with this letter that Paul wrote to them. They met on the first day of the week, Sunday. The elder would announce as they've gathered, Paul the Apostle, with the authority of Jesus, because he's been appointed an Apostle by Jesus, Paul's written to us. He sent us a letter to correct our thinking, to correct our behaviour, so that we think right, act right, believe right. The elder would stand up and they would then proceed to read out Paul's letter. Paul is here to correct us, exactly as we've got it here today. They were hearing the same things that we read there in those first five verses as they read out the introduction of this letter. What would they do? They would then grow in their knowledge they would grow in their faith, they would grow in their ability to trust in Christ and to know what is the true way to understand Jesus and what is the true way to live as they heard the words of truth. This is the primary way that we grow as disciples of Christ, hearing the truth, changing the way we think, which changes the way we live. They would hear the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what Jesus said, and the truth of how they should live as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what the church is for. As a primary function, it is to build us up in the gospel of truth so that we glorify God and we find our deepest joy and fulfillment in following Jesus. So when I stand here and we speak about this, this is not meant to make us bookheads. Don't ever get that in your head like that. We're not meant to be encyclopedias walking just jammed full of knowledge. It's important. It's got to get into our heart and believe it with serious joy. You can put those two together because it's serious things we talk about, but it produces joy in our hearts that this glorious God has rescued and saved and he's given us his truth. It's meant to overflow in worship, not stay up here like a computer hard drive just absorbing stuff. It's meant to touch our hearts and transform the way we live. It's how we grow. It's through the truth. That's what the Galatians are doing today. They're hearing the truth inspired by God's spirit and it's moving them and wanting them to live that way and to reflect that out into the community where they live. That's what we're doing today here at Exchange. That same truth, we're saying, let's get it in here and let's transfer it into our hearts so it becomes who we are. And we just want to do it as God's spirit works that way through us. What's the message then that Paul's got for these Galatians? Well, it's all of this letter, of course. There's six chapters here to go through. But it's also summarised here in this introduction about where Paul's going to go. Verse 3, he just nails it right from the start. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the letter of Galatians? It's ultimately a letter of God's grace and God's peace towards us. It will expose us. It will actually show us what's wrong with us and we need to know that. But it's God's grace to restore us and to heal us. Any word we have from God revealing himself to us is a gift of his grace. That is what this Bible is. It's a gift of grace to us. It has the words of eternal life. It has the words of the living God. Do you see God's word like that? Do you see it as a gift of grace? Do you understand that his words are his grace towards us? It's a priceless possession we have here. We're going to see that grace unpacked over the next few weeks as we step through Galatians. Paul's message, though, has its foundation here in the gospel as well. Look in verse 4. He says this, uh, following on from you know, uh, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, in verse 4, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul's actually got the gospel right at the front here. Jesus who gave himself. What do you mean, Paul? He sacrificed himself. He sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. He poured out his life and was murdered on that cross for our sins. It's front and centre, right at the outset. It's the gospel. Who gave himself on the cross, who died there for us, to rescue and deliver us. What from? This present evil age. To deliver us from the falseness and the lies that this world is continually pouring towards us. Jesus has given himself to deliver us from that, not to be bound up by those lies. From this present, fallen, broken world. And not according to man's plan in the introduction there. Not according to what we wanted. It was according to God's will. He purposed to come in and to rescue and save people who don't deserve to be rescued and saved. And would never, ever deserve to be rescued and saved. It's his will to do that. And it's all about God's glory as he does that. And this is important here because Paul is going to take the Galatians back to the gospel to correct their false thinking and their false behaviour. As we'll see this unpacked in the next few weeks, he's going to take them right back to the core of our salvation back to the foundations of what we believe, back to the truth so we'll expose the false. And that's what the gospel does. It actually sets us free from false thinking and false belief and gets us thinking in the right way, not to fall for those lies, but to believe the right thing. So here's where I want us to land this morning with that sort of long introduction, thinking about the foundations here of Galatians. What's your view of church? What's your view of church? I don't know, maybe you're here for the very first time today and you might be thinking a bit along the culture. The church, it is just out of touch with the modern way of thinking. People think like outside the church. They just think, what, what are you doing? This thing you're just gathering together on a Sunday That's the sort of stuff, we just moved past all that. We just got onto a modern way of thinking now. The church is an outdated institution. It causes more harm than good in this world. We see plenty of media attention and that light as well. Having said that, we've got to own up to that. The church has done a lot of harm in the past. Absolutely. We don't deny that. We should apologise for all the harm that the church has caused. I get that if someone was to think that way. But I could say this about the church as well that anything good we have in Western culture today, namely hospitals or schools or universities or orphanages or caring for widows, do you know where that started? It started out of churches wanting to meet the needs of these marginalised people. Now, Western culture doesn't see that, but the church actually gets its roots for all those things out of the church. Our Westminster system of parliament comes from Christian principles. Democratic nations are built on Christian principles, but they still have a lot of media attention wanting to smash down the church. What is your view of church today? Well, the church is a work in progress. Absolutely. Why is that? Because it's made up of people like me. Broken, flawed, far from perfect. It is a work in progress. And it's not going to be perfect on this side of eternity. One day it will be spotless without wrinkle and it will not have a shadow of sinful or evil trait in it whatsoever. Not quite today. We're dealing with that. We're trying to work through that. But not today. It will always be a sense of brokenness there. But let me say this with all humility and respect as we think about what is your view of church. The church is the most important community, organisation, institution in the world. Does that shock you? It is the most important community, institution, organisation in the world. And I say that with respect and humility because we support government authorities of all types. But they're not as important as the church. Why is that? Well, the church, the community of believers, deals with matters eternal, deals with big stuff. I'm not saying there's not big stuff happening in the halls of cogs down the road. There's important stuff. But it doesn't get any bigger than talking about God and talking about our salvation and talking about heaven and talking about hell. It doesn't get any bigger than that. The church deals in that. It's a community of believers, a place where we find love and truth and strength to be all that Jesus calls us to be. And true believers in Christ true believers in Christ, desire and want to be committed to and connected deeply to Jesus' church. If you're truly following Jesus, you want to be with Jesus' people. That's what he's given us for. Can you imagine the Galatians, if they didn't have that community, with all that marginalisation, with all that shunning, with all that sort of rejection, with all that stuff happening, if they were doing this as like lone rangers how long would you survive for? You would crumple up in a heap, probably just end up in the fetal position in the corner somewhere, I can't do this, I need help and support. That's what the church is there for. Churches are lighthouses. Lighthouses in a dark world so that we don't fall for the lies that we are somewhat surrounded by and sort of Permeating into our lives through the week. Why do we gather here on Sunday? To open up God's word again, to see that light as we're just beginning to birth in our hearts and birth in our minds. The church is a lighthouse. Churches are communities of people that which are places of grace, places of refuge, places of restoration in Christ. Sure, we expose what's wrong with us in our sinfulness... But God comes in his healing grace and restores us as a safe place and a refuge. How do you view the church? It's vital. It's critical. If you want your spiritual health to be nourished, it's life support for you. If you are, I think that I can get along with God's community as a take-it-or-leave-it option on the menu. Some days I'll tick it, other days I'll let it go. If we think that's how we'll get along in life, it's just optional. We're deceiving ourselves, really deceiving ourselves, blindly deceiving ourselves. Talk to anybody who's been connected with the church and trying to follow Christ and then walked away from the church, and initially they do think they've found freedom. I don't have to get up early Sunday morning, I can go do whatever. It feels free. It feels like liberating. It feels like I've, I've actually found something for a little while. And then they find that freedom that they thought they had, it's an empty freedom. They're missing a whole significant part of their life of truth and meaningful relationships. And then they come back to church and say, what the heck did I leave for? These people actually care for me. They love for me. Now, the flip side of that is you may have had a bad experience at a church. And I don't deny that because many people have had bad experiences of church in the past. And some terrible things have happened there. But don't give up. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church to bring her to glory. Jesus wants you and I to be vitally connected to his church, his community of believers, to receive the grace that he has for us. Bearing with all of my faults and failures and weaknesses, just like I'll bear with all of your faults and failures and weaknesses. But together in Christ, as a community focused on him, we can become all he wants us to be in and through the church. What's Paul doing? He's writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. It's a letter of grace. It's a letter of peace. And we are going to get amazing growth out of this if we just apply ourselves to this truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and just open up this introduction, Lord, to the churches of Galatia. God, I pray that you would help us to see today, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to see today what priceless things you have given to us. We have this letter written to the Galatians 2,000 years ago, and we get to pick it up and we get to read it today, and it speaks into our hearts just like it spoke into the hearts of those people then. Give us a hunger, I pray, Holy Spirit, to devour this letter. To see it change and transform the way we think. To align us together in unity around Christ, in unity around the gospel. Help us to think about the churches as they were established in Galatia, Lord, and all they were up against. But yet, Lord, the church was the place where these people found a haven. They found refuge. They found the truth. They found, Lord, loving relationships to guide them and nurture them in their growth in Christ. Lord, today those I know who are sitting before me have had some really bad experiences in church. Some they may never want to recount again, even in their minds thinking about it. God, I pray that you would bring healing to their hearts and minds again, to not give up on the church. God, to come again and to see this is a beautiful thing you've given to us, Cracked and broken in many respects, but Lord with a humility to come before you as our Lord and Saviour and to unite each other in Christ, around your truth, in the power of your spirit and Lord to become a community of love, a community of grace. A community there Lord that is a lighthouse for the larger community where we live. Do this work we pray Lord, do it for your glory and for our good and we ask it in your name Jesus, Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.